Welcome to Dig It. This is the speaker. I'm here with my co-host, the Sharp Edge, and Corey Lynn of Corey's Digs. How are you guys doing? Hey there, doing good. How are you? I'm doing great. <laughs> How about you guys? That's good to hear. I'm so tired, like a walking zombie. Well, we're going to get through because the show must go on, ladies. You can get in it? there to that to that sleep clinic or whatever and get your you know get all fixed up. Next week, I've got everything planned. So I'm going in. So I should have everything by next week. Hopefully I can get my sleep back. I can't wait to see you back in full swing. I'm sure you girls are sick of me complaining. We've been dealing with, <laughs> with zombie speaker for like a little while now. He still, he still gets things done. <laughs> That's do. right. That's right. That's you what do. counts. What time is it there right now? Uh, it's 7.50 in the morning. Keeps getting pushed back. Mm. Because of your daylight savings. <clears throat> well, now you can now you can just you know sleep longer and then get up really early. Just go to bed earlier at night. Yeah, that that just that means I have to go to bed, Corey. Like that's what I'm having trouble with. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like that that's the whole basis of it. Like I can't. Oh, sleep. <laughs> oh man, yeah. well, we have like a ton of stuff to cover in this episode. Yeah, we got a few, so I'm gonna just listen to you girls. Nah, I, I, I will chime in a little bit as well. You're a foreign <laughs> correspondent. You can't do that. Ah, uh, no, yeah. Today we're gonna just cover a little bit about the Epstein uh, cover-up bid that's just come out from Project Veritas. Bit of a Nixium update on some of these things that have just kind of happened in the last day or so. The impeachment, Flynn update. I'm gonna talk a little bit about Pakistan and Iraq and what's going on in the protests over there, because those are two I have not covered yet. We're going to talk about Corey's article, which is called The System Put You in a Box, But the Box Doesn't Exist. And we're going to talk just a little bit on Edge's new dig, which is the cancer of modern medicine. So take us off, ladies. Okay, well, we'll start with uh, Epstein. I'm sure many people have already seen this, um, but there's probably several who have not. So Project Veritas on uh, November 5th just released a video of Amy Robach from ABC News who was on caught on a hot mic. And because this is such, it has to do with Epstein's story that they, they buried from three years ago, we're going to play the short clip. I'll link the seven-minute long video to Project Veritas below, but we want to at least play this short little clip so everyone can hear it for themselves before we talk about it. So we'll play that now. I've had the story for three years. I've had this interview with Virginia Roberts. We would not put it on the air. Um, first of all, I was told, who's Jeffrey Epstein? No one knows who that is. This is a stupid story. Um, then the palace found out that we had her whole allegations about Prince Andrew and threatened us a million different ways. Um, we were so afraid we wouldn't be able to interview Kate and Will say, oh, that we that also quashed the story. And then, um, and then Alan Dershowitz was also implicated in because of the planes. She told me everything. She had pictures. She had everything. She was in hiding for 12 years. We convinced her to come out. We convinced her to talk to us. Um, it was unbelievable what we had. Clinton. We had everything. I, I tried for three years to get it on to no avail. And now it's all coming out. And it's like these new revelations. And I freaking had all of it. I, I'm so pissed right now. Like every day I get more and more pissed because I'm just like, oh my God, we, it was, um, what, what we had was unreal. Other women backing it up. Hey, yep. 
Brad Edwards, the attorney, three years ago, saying, like, aunt, like, we, there will come a day when we will realize Jeffrey Epstein was the most prolific pedophile this country has ever known. I had it all three years ago. So here's what I find so disgusting is that she's stating that she is pissed off and getting more and more pissed off by the day because she has the whole story three years ago and now it's all coming out. It's all about being scooped. She could care less that a pedophile was free to roam for three damn years. That's what kills me, you know, her tone in this. And I realized she didn't realize she was being recorded and all, but you know, I'm not saying she's not concerned about pedophiles, but boy, she, she sure seemed all about the story with this. Oh yeah, she did. Yeah. And in the full seven minute clip, she says, and she repeats herself a couple times, she believes Epstein was killed hundred percent because he made a living blackmailing people and talks about all the powerful men that went on his planes and to the island and to his apartment. And there was an interview done and they spiked the story and shelved it and they still haven't aired it. So they were God. more interested in getting an interview with William and Kate and the, the pressure from the, uh, the Royals that they killed that story. Oh yeah. Unbelievable. They were threatening them. Oh, it, it didn't make the editorial standards, Corey. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. So we have, and we'll throw this up on the screen. We have their statement, but AP put out this, just this short article saying that ABC is defending this. Didn't have enough corroborating evidence. But what's comical about that is when you listen to Robach, she says they had everything, pictures, Clinton, other women backing it up. It's unbelievable what we had. So I'm not going to read, I'll read ABC News statement because it's pretty short, but Amy's is a little longer. We'll have it up on the screen. So they say, at the time, not all of our reporting met our standards to air, but we have never stopped investigating the story. Ever since we've had a team on this investigation and substantial resources dedicated to it, that work has led to a two-hour documentary and six-part podcast that will air in the new year. Big freaking deal. This is long after the fact, after he was murdered, killed. So this was recorded in August of this year, and she's referencing three years ago. So why do we think they shut this down? Well, well where, where does that put you at three years ago? Exactly. 2016, <laughs> during Hillary's presidential election, and they had the goods on Bill Clinton. Also, ABC News chief George Stephanopoulos gave $75,000 to the Clinton Foundation. He dined with Epstein in 2010 after his conviction. And then you, Edge, did a brilliant dig on Disney, which, by the way, has been making its rounds again the past few days. ABC is owned by Disney. Wasn't it like, was it 96 or it, it was in the late 90s when they, Disney took over ABC, right? I can't remember, but yeah, I mean, they've owned I them think, for a while. Yeah. And they were involved. They had, like you reported on, the Disney Cruise Line was sponsoring a snorkeling expedition to Epstein's Island. And the former chairman of Disney and senator of Maine, George Mitchell, was implicated by Virginia Roberts Goofrey as well. Exactly. So, these people had very good reason to shelve this story. Let me just tell you something right now. If they had anything, anything on Trump, guarantee you that would have made the rounds. It wouldn't have been shelved. Oh, yeah. They have no problem reporting on Kavanaugh on a woman's word where no one could corroborate her story. So what exactly are these standards they're going by? It's complete hogwash and it's criminal. It's absolutely criminal. These people had 
photographic, as Amy Robux stated. They had tons of photos. They had other women backing it up. She said they had everything. So we're talking about ABC here, people. This was like a week ago or something that they had posted a fake video that was shot in Kentucky and and aired it as it was a Syrian attack. That met their journalistic standards, but this doesn't. It's the same with the Covington kids. It's the same with Nick Sandman. The Russian hoax. Putting that Indian on to talk before the news even got out. Right. It's purposefully done. Let's not joke around and beat around the bush. Right. And it's just a complete cover-up by the medium. And and this is why I love James O.K., okay? brilliant journalist. He really does. It's almost like he actually works hard. <laughs> right. Does. It's disgusting, you know, what happened in these three years. And several of them on the news keep keep referring to, you know, these women. What about the harm to these women? Well, these women were once, you know, kids or young teenagers when these things happened to them. And so who's to say in these past three years, this hasn't still been going on with young kids. Let's call it like it is and stop saying women. Right. It's disgusting. I don't know legal wise, you know, because a lot of people are saying, oh, there should be a class action lawsuit and this and that. And what they did is criminal. It is. It's absolutely criminal. It's like they had evidence sitting there and they sat on this story, but I don't know that there's any law that says, hey, if, if you own a news media company, you absolutely have to report if you have this information. But it's disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting. Oh, it, it's disgusting. It's immoral. It's everything we know the media is. The media has pretty much gotten every single one of the biggest scandals wrong. They're, they've completely 100% sold out. Completely. They're protecting their people, you know. And, and in, in Amy Robux defense it wasn't her call to shelve it she obviously wanted to report on this so Makes you think about all of the other reporters who are the same who do have journalistic integrity i'm not claiming that amy right. does i don't know her but right I doubt, I, I doubt she does right but i'm just saying that there there may be some out there who do have journalistic integrity and that want to get stories out but they just really can't but it doesn't even come out like she has journalistic integrity it was completely narcissistic Yep. Yeah, it was all about the scoop. About the victims, the children, or it was about none of that. It's just completely about her having the biggest story of her lifetime. Right. And they sat on it, and it, she could have leaked it, you know? She could have leaked it to she someone else to get yeah. it out. So, yeah. Makes me wonder what else has been covered up. Oh, God. Tons, tons. And then we have this other bombshell that I didn't even, I just the cliff notes on i didn't even get a chance to get into it yet on what just dropped yesterday edge i think you got that story with the people that were murdered that have mormon folks i believe that had these ties to nixiom and mexican cartels involved in this and so what's going on with that there's a lot going on there i think we need to go a little bit deeper into it but but what have you learned so far okay so nine women and children were slaughtered earlier this week and it was believed to be a cartel shooting so these people were again women and children they were part of this mormon community with ties to nixvm so the fbi opened an investigation into this they were u.s citizens that were involved in this massacre and they were gunned down by cartel members in northern mexico in this Mexican border state of Sonora. And these victims had dual citizenship, U.S. and Mexico. And they were part of this Mormon community who had fled 
the U.S. back in the 19th century after being persecuted for their beliefs, which include polygamy. So this community is reportedly a location where Keith Ranieri would recruit young girls huh. as for to have as nannies up in upstate New York. Of course, New York. Mm-hmm. Everything goes back to New York. <laughs> yeah. So there's this filmmaker named Mark Vicente, and I think he was actually a witness in Ranieri's trial. So Vicente at the time did a, a shot a documentary with Keith Ranieri on Nixvium. And it was actually used as like a recruiting tool for Nixvium. So this documentary included an interview with a person named Julian LeBaron. And this person has claimed or has identified himself as one of the cousins of one of the mothers that was shot in this, in this massacre. And mm-hmm. again, it was believed to be a cartel shooting. And there was a, a caravan of SUVs that was mistaken to be, you know, a, a rival cartel. But Do you buy that? I, I don't know. I honestly don't know yet because it I, looks like I, I there's a cover up going on. It said like three black SUVs, I believe. There were some children that survived the shooting and they were let go. There was a suspect that was arrested this week in a border city called Agua Prieta, and he had assault rifles on him. And initially, investigators or authorities were saying that he was part or at least suspected to be possibly connected to these shootings. Then later, they said that he is not. So they have ruled him out. Yeah. So, and the other thing is that it wasn't all one incident. It was actually two instances, two hours apart, that these shootings took place. So there was one SUV. It was a a Chevy Tahoe that happened at 9 a.m. that it got all shot up. Where was it located at the time of the shooting? Um, I don't know the town. I just know that it was in a, in Sonora. So, but I mean, did they say whether it was driving or in a parking lot or at home or because I didn't get to catch up on this. Huh. Nope, nope, I did not get that information. That makes all the difference in the world. It would be nice to have those details. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's actually a lot that, you know, we can go into this because uh, there's like new things getting posted every uh, every couple of hours about this and different things. That the family's got a long history, even going back 20, 30 years. Apparently their, their ancestor was like a murderer within the Mormon church. Like it's quite like... Yeah, like Dark. detailed about wow. this fam- family and about what's what's actually going on there. Yeah, apparently their one of their ancestors was was known as the the Mormon Manson. Wow. So like the, the the name is synonymous with like goes back to that legacy. It, it's real weird, Ben. There's there's some really holes here. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to tell what's going on. Did they think it was a rival cartel? I doubt it. These people have been in this town for, you know, since the 19th century. They know that there's a Mormon community there. I I doubt that they were taken by surprise when they saw this group of people in SUVs. They've probably come and gone a million times. So it's hard to Mm -hmm. tell. It seems like it's possible it could have been a hired hit. Um, If they do have connections to Nixvium and if they were possibly had some sort of arrangement with Ranieri, because apparently Ranieri was recruiting girls from that community. Just hearing Nixvium, Mormon, and cartel in the same sentence is uh, is a big, huh? (laughs) What? (laughs) 
Well, next we have had a lot of ties to Mexico. You know, Monterey actually. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And we'll keep on top of this story because I think we're going to hear more. There's going to be more that comes out. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. We've barely touched the surface on it. From the moment it's happened till now, there's so much information that's kind of been dumped. So we'll we'll definitely kind of get more into that next week. Yeah, we should do that. We'll definitely follow up on that. So so the Flynn case, or did you want to go into the impeachment? We can go into Flynn. Okay. So so this has been on fire the last couple days here. Sidney Powell, General Flynn's attorney, filed a response to the latest DOJ motion regarding production of evidence. And her response was quite brilliant. Last week in our podcast, we had talked about the edits to the 302. So in this response, Sydney was arguing that the defendant is entitled to compare Lisa Page's suggested edits with the changes made by Strzok to determine whether his changes reflected his purported recollection of the event or fabrication suggested by McCabe's special counsel. And then we had a whole whopping twist, which I'll get into in a minute. So now she could have gone straight for a, a motion asking for dismissal. But she's taking it one step further, and she's trying to get material evidence they've requested to hold them accountable and move for egregious government misconduct. It's quite brilliant. So she stated, Mr. Flynn only requests an order compelling the government to produce the additional Brady evidence he has requested in full and unredacted form and in order to show cause why the government should not be held in contempt. I love her. (laughs) She goes on to state, at the appropriate time, Mr. Flynn will file a separate motion asking that the court dismiss the prosecution for egregious government misconduct and in the interest of justice. Mr. Flynn is entitled to discovery of the materials he has requested in these motions and briefs that will help him support such a motion. So she went into this, there was this huge long footnote, and she went into this extensively into the government misconduct and how they threatened Mr. Flynn and his son and put immense pressure on him. And she stated, and this is, this is kind of interesting because it's about his previous counsel. She says, no individual, no matter how innocent, can withstand such pressure, particularly when represented by a conflicted defense counsel. The advice a client is given by his lawyer in such fraught circumstances can make all the difference between standing his ground or caving to the immense pressure. So we have this twist, and on November 5th, the DOJ submitted a letter to the court admitting that they had misidentified the FBI agent's notes pertaining to the 302 that we had discovered last week had been edited. And they're saying that Strux notes are Pinkas, I don't know if I'm saying that right, and Pinkas are really Strux. So... Right. Right. So in other words, the the federal government made this error and they have been lying about this. uh, Let's see, since I think it was, I want to say it was like March of 2018. Kind of a huge error. We accidentally uh, mixed up the notes. So apparently these notes get placed into a form in a 1A envelope, which gets filled out by the agent who takes the notes. And Sidney Paul's been demanding these, but they haven't been given to her. And when you look at the handwriting, it would appear the notes identified as Strzok's were his all along. Total shenanigans going on here. And everyone's on fire on social media about this. So, so Sidney tweets out, it's now impossible to take DOJ, FBI word for anything imperative now more than ever that all original documents be produced the entire fbi file and subfiles handwriting samples of both agents metadata audit trail everything this is ridiculous and case should be dismissed that's oh, a yeah real, it should 
really interesting 100%. twist there. Yeah, it's very it's interesting. It's a level of incompetence, but it's incompetence purposefully done. It's not. Uh -huh. Oh, yeah. I mean? like, like, like you can call it incompetence, but they knew what they were doing. It's yeah. like they're going back and trying to cover the tracks now. And Well, let's say that we screwed up on the notes, but then what implications does that bring? Because that creates more confusion in other areas. It's just, it'll be interesting to see what rolls out. You know, I don't know if it'll roll out next week, if it'll happen that quickly, but... There was a lot of back and forth this week on this, so it'll be interesting to see. Bring us up to date on the impeachment status, Edge. All right, so a couple of important things came out this week. So John Solomon reported on some breaking news that there was new information received through a FOIA request that were in the form of Obama's emails. And these emails disclosed a lot of information about the whistleblower, the suspected whistleblower eric charamella <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna get into it that name is still classified apparently by the media even though everyone knows it hide the whistleblower's identity so uh, eric charamella as we've seen now in these emails that were just released he worked really closely with victoria newland Eric was mentioned at least six times in these Obama emails that were re received through a FOIA request. And so he worked closely with Victoria Newland, as shown in these emails, who was the Assistant Secretary of State for European Affairs and received updates on Ukraine issues from the author of the Steele dossier, Christopher Steele. In addition to that, Victoria Newland has direct ties to the Steele dossier. In fact, in a 302 memo of an FBI interview with Bruce Orr in November of 2016, Orr stated that he knew that Glenn Simpson and others were talking to Victoria Newland at the State Department. So Eric Charamella, this CIA whistleblower or suspected CIA whistleblower who we all suspect except for the media. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he has connections directly to Victoria Newland as shown in these emails that came out from John Solomon and there's more. These emails also show that there were conversations held between Burisma lobbyists and the Obama administration requesting for the Obama administration to get involved in shutting down the Burisma investigation in the Ukraine. And this happened, these emails happened one month prior to the incident with Joe Biden getting involved with shutting down that investigation by having that prosecutor fired. We had all seen that video where Joe Biden refers to that incident. So that was also disclosed in these new emails. Also, the fired Ukrainian ambassador, Maria Yanovich, who was also one of the witnesses in this impeachment inquiry, she, in these emails, it's shown she knew about the Biden family, Burisma scandal, and mm -hmm. she was talking and conspiring to do ba basically do damage control. So Maria Yanovich knew about the Biden family Burisma scandal back in 2015 and was talking about it in emails doing damage control. And as Solomon reported that whatever the Biden family, whatever their recollections are, the Obama State Department clearly saw that the Burisma Holdings investigation in the midst of a 2016 presidential election as a Joe Biden issue. And the memos detail how the State Department officials in June of 2016 worked to prepare Ambassador Yayanovich to handle questions 
about Burisma and Hunter. There's some more information that's come out this week. So there was a, there's a new star witness, Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman. I think he testified what last week to this impeachment inquiry. And he is a little bit about him. He is a naturalized U.S. citizen born in the Ukraine. Hmm. So yeah. So he serves on the National Security Council. And he appeared last week at the House Intel Committee hearing. He testified that he, quote unquote, has concerns about the Ukraine call. But his testimony really didn't provide any more new information. It was really just his perception of the call, which we already know the transcript. A couple of people have come out as character witnesses, speaking out about this star witness of the impeachment inquiry, Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vendman. They actually served with him in the military. And they describe him, one retired army officer has described him as always being very anti-American, making very anti-American statements, even to the point where he was verbally reprimanded and he was making other people in the service, soldiers, uncomfortable. Wow. And he described um, Alexander Venman as basically a political activist in a uniform. Uh, one, no, two, two other points I want to make. That came out this week. So Rand Paul has publicly stated that he will probably disclose the name of the CIA whistleblower. So the media is up in arms about this. Oh, whistleblower blower protection statute. And he's come out a couple of times and said, no, 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 you guys have it all wrong. The, the whistleblower statute says that only, only applies to the inspector general. The inspector general cannot reveal the name of the whistleblower. But there's nothing in that statute that prevents Rand Paul or others from disclosing the name of the whistleblower. And he says he knows who it is. Yeah. He also says, you know, backed it up and said, you know, the Sixth Amendment says that if you're in trial, you get to face your accuser in court. So he was using that as sort of a defense for we really do deserve and Trump deserves to know who his accuser is. I like Rand Paul. He's, he, I don't agree with everything he says. But to right. me, it does seem like a decent human being that makes decisions on what he believes is right or correct or moral. I agree. I've always, I've always liked him. He Same does stand thing. for what he believes. With everything he says, but he, um, he is one of the few that actually appears to work his butt off. Yeah, he seems to be like one of the last classical politicians within the mm -hmm. system. You know? like, yeah. Yeah. Actually works for the people and does what he believes is morally correct, even if you know I disagree with it or something. I like his ginormous financial reports that he puts out. You know, yeah. <laughs> he so, calls them all out. Like we're spending this on that and this much on this, and yeah, I love it. I love it. So he says he knows who the whistleblower is for sure, and that this whistleblower, which we all believe is Eric Charamella is a material witness to the Biden corruption. So he says this person was present when Biden was involved in the firing of the Ukrainian prosecutor and that was investigating Hunter Biden. And so the uh, attorney for the whistleblower has come out and has threatened and said, you know, if Rand Paul or anyone else comes out and says this whistleblower's name, and if something happens to the whistleblower, it's their fault. And uh, Rand Paul does not be, seem to be swayed by it. He says he's coming out probably, probably, and disclosing it. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, maybe even by the time we, you know, drop this podcast, maybe we will see. We will see. 
Probably. Event one of these days, you know, we're gonna have to work up to doing two a week. <laughs> so, we so that we don't like miss everything and then a week goes by before the next one comes out people want us to do live streams and that would be awesome it's just that our schedules are all so crazy and different so yeah we live in different parts of the country and an entirely different country and what's going on in uh iraq and pakistan speaker uh all right foreign correspondents let's get into it <laughs> you like my porn correspondent segments, don't you? I do. I do. It's cool. Um, well, it only makes sense that you know you should be our foreign correspondent and all. Look, I, I I like looking at different parts of the world because I think it's very easy to forget, especially when we live in in Western countries, that this is a big planet and there's a lot going on in different countries and they're fighting their own spiritual battles right. you know, and, and, and fighting against their own governments in certain ways. So the world doesn't really revolve around the places that we're in. And it's easy to forget that. We'll start with Pakistan because Pakistan really got me interested and I started to draw a lot of parallels with Pakistan with America. And I, I, I know it's hard to say at the moment, but just, just give me time. I'll go like, I'll get into it. But I, I, it's it's important to take an overview of these protests and of these situations and to look at it completely from a non-biased perspective, which is easy to do when you're in another country. You just kind of look at facts and you and you just kind of work your way around what's what people are saying, and you got to look into both political parties and what's right. going on. Pakistan really interested me with the parallels between uh, the Pakistani Prime Minister Imran Khan and Trump, and we will. We'll move in a little bit into why I see it that way. And, and this is strictly my opinion and strictly what I've just observed from looking deep into these protests. You won't read this on the mainstream media. I, I highly doubt they look into it as much as I have. So these, these protests started around about five days ago with the opposition leader, Frazal al-Rama, who is the chief of the JUI party. Take note that the JUI party seems to be listed as a right-wing religious party. But who knows what right-wing means this day and age? Does it just mean a party that has opposing views, a party that thinks differently? You really got to watch how the media kind of spins that. But just, just underline that point for a minute. So they started five days ago, and it's, it's, you can't not say that these protests are not massive. There is a lot of people in these protests, definitely not take that away. Their demands are that the Prime Minister Imran Khan resign over worsening economic conditions and alleged election rigging. There is another two parties within Pakistan, which is the PML party, which is the Pakistani Muslim League, and the PPP party, which is the Pakistan's People Party. Now, both those parties agree with the JUI party and have supported them in this march against the Prime Minister. So they've led a five-day march that started in the city of Karachi uh, through the entire length of the country with their goal of reaching Islamabad, uh, which they probably will have reached by the time we, we bring this out. Now I'm going to get into a little bit of Imran Khan. So that's the other side, what they're, what they're protesting, what they're marching about. Now I'm going to talk a little bit about Imran Khan, who's the prime minister. He was a famous cricketer that played for Pakistan from the late 80s to the early 90s. He was also captain of Pakistan and led them to a World Cup victory in cricket in 1992. If people don't know, those countries like Pakistan, Bangladesh, India, Sri Lanka are massive cricketing countries. Cricketers are like gods to these people, absolute gods. So it's no surprise that after his cricket career, he got into politics, which was 2013. 
he's also seen as a nationalist and a populist, which is weird when you're looking at the other party where they're saying it's a right-wing party. So it, it, there's kind of conflicting avenues there. He assumed office in 2018, so it, it's only been a year since he's been in office. He was part of the National General Assembly since 2013, so he's been in there for a while. And now this is what I found really interesting. So since they've come to power, the chiefs from the PPL party, so the leaders, they, they call them chiefs, uh, of the PPP party and the PML party have been arrested for corruption. And, and that's why I'm drawing parallels with Trump here from the populism and because Imran Khan is 100% a populist, Pakistan first more than anything else. I mean, he played for their country, he flew their flag a lot. So has he come in, disrupted Pakistan's sense of corruption prior to him being involved? And is that why they're marching against him? Is this like what we see liberals doing in America, protesting against Trump, protesting on what they see as a corrupt president? It's, it's, it's hard to tell, but I'm, I'm only kind of picking apart what I'm seeing here. They're citing him for these economic problems and election ringing. It's really hard to see how you would wriggle in an election, especially for someone that's only been in power for a year. But also when it comes to the, at the economic side, Pakistan was in an economic collapse. It was spiraling even prior to him becoming in power. It was absolutely going down. It was, in a, it was in an economic crisis. So he inherited a terrible economy. He inherited a flawed and corrupt system. So after a year, what do you expect him to do? Things don't recover like that. Right. Of course it takes time. So things don't recover like that. So look, I don't have skin in the game. <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't really, you know, like, like I care about this situation, but I'm, I'm not flying anyone's flags here. And this is why people need to, it's very easy to see mass protests in countries and go, this is amazing. This is fantastic. Some countries and some protests are not the same as others. People really need to look into it, and especially when it comes to these Asian and Middle Eastern countries, because you don't really know what's going on there. And countries like Pakistan and stuff like that, there's no shortage of protests and rallies. I mean, there's mass yeah. corruption within those areas and have been for years. So it's 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 interesting who's in the right here. I don't know. Like the, the, That's just my observation of it and why I found it really interesting because I did draw parallels. Who really knows? I mean, like from, from the videos I've seen, which I didn't understand because they're all in Pakistani, <laughs> but, but I tried to watch as many as I could and just kind of just observation of comments, translation, thumbs up, thumbs down on what I could do. It seems like a lot of people don't like this opposition leader. Hmm. So it's it's an interesting situation is all I can really gather from it and, and where it goes from there, well, I don't know. I, I mean, certain things have risen. Economies worsened by about 2.4%. Taxes have risen. Oil is up. So, you know, there's, there's arguments on both sides of the party who's, what's going on here. Right. Will, will we ever know without someone being on the ground or without someone getting, you know, to, you know talks on both sides? Probably not. But it, it, it's definitely something to look at and not throw your hat behind this mass protest in Pakistan without really digging into it a little bit deeper. Right. So, right. Yeah. Like, wow. b- because, I mean, if, if, if you take the Western equivalent of it, how many times do you see protests against Trump in London, protests against Trump in, in, in the US? And, that, and that's mm-hmm. what's pushed on every media site so someone that's not really digging into it or not really 
on Twitter or following other journalists or following other diggers, it's hard to tell what's really happening or what the, the actual reality of the people is when you're being spewed these sort of lies. Oh, right. Because the media is constantly spinning it to what they want you to see. So it, it's tricky, especially when you don't understand their language on top of it. Yeah. And, and their political system. Not all political systems are, are, are equal. So <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> um, so that will jump into Iraq. Iraq has been going on for about five weeks. There hasn't been a lot of coverage on it. And, and, and especially over the last three days, there seems to be a cut in the internet. So a lot of the internet is down through the country. And it's really hard to get a lot of information out that is not coming from mainstream media. Yeah, ma- mainstream media is sort of feeding this information out. So these protests began early October. It started over corruption, unemployment, and lack of basic services, like what most of them start off as. But in true Iraqi militant fashion, these protests were met severely and was suspended for a short time a couple of weeks back when the military started using live ammunition uh, so like shooting live ammunition within the protesters killing an an initial 150 people so this this was about three weeks so so this is against mass human rights abuses wow yeah so like they just legitimately just gunned down 150 people and this has now got moved up to 250 people. So that's how much the, the fatality rate is, and thousands have been injured. So, you, I mean, I mean I've, I've looked, I've seen videos, they're hor- horrific, but this is me going into it. I won't post them. I'll, I'll post certain pictures or whatever, but I won't post videos of these sort of things. Yeah. Within the last week, of course, protesters have got their back up again, really rallied behind this, and they have gone all out in Iraq. These protests are in several major cities. Uh, They've burned down the offices of all major political parties. They've also started protesting against Iran and the mullahs, which is real interesting because Lebanon, which I covered a couple of weeks ago, has also started it doing that as well. And what, what they're protesting against Iran is uh, Iranian corruption and infiltration of their own governments. So it's th- there is really close ties with the Prime Minister of Iraq and the, and the governors and all that between the um, leader of Iran and other politicians within Iran. It's also like these, these countries are kind of becoming puppet states for Iran. And, okay. and, 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 and this is the new Iraqi government that was established in 2003, thanks to the help of George Bush. Did we all know that this was going to fail? And I think anyone that had a good idea saw this coming. With the protests against Iran, they, they burned down the Iranian embassy. It's, it's, it's chaos over there at the moment. And, and, and because there seems to be massive leaks, yeah, it's, it's almost like, a, like the Iranians are kind of puppeteering a lot of these countries, uh, which is scary. And, I mean, you've got Western countries rallying around Iran because Trump hates them. That's funny. Um, <laughs> so the demands of these protests have now gone into like an overhaul of the country's complete political system, the resignation of the prime minister, which he said he would do if he found a political replacement, which I don't really know how sincere that is. Or is he just trying to quell the protesters? The thing about Iraq is, despite being the fourth largest oil supplier in the world, the people there are impoverished. 
You know, you can hardly drink water, hardly any electricity, place shortages at times. Doesn't represent how much money is coming into the country. That is, that is for sure. Yeah. And so, yeah, so the protesters are saying that their leaders have enriched themselves through letting the economy and infrastructure pretty much collapse just to empower themselves and enrich themselves and their friends, which is no surprise coming out of those countries. And Sounds just like Haiti. Yeah, sounds just like <laughs> Haiti, right? Yeah, hundred percent. But like, so there's this things with these countries, though, especially with protests. Don't be surprised if this does turn into an all right war, especially in countries like Iraq. I mean, don't be surprised if it becomes a complete internal struggle. Tribes start fighting. This is Iraq. They're used to this. You know, they, 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 they've done this before. They will do it again. There is always fighting within the Middle East and within these countries coups deviations of certain generals and stuff like that so that's that's basically what's going on now definitely keep an eye on it thank you for the update there speaker thank you our foreign correspondent i i think i blabbled a bit that's okay <laughs> people like to hear your accent so <laughs> there we go well well let's get into your dig quickly Corey, and then maybe we'll just uh, finish it off and just talk about edges did quickly and the new video she brought out yeah so i just did uh just real quick wanted to mention an article i published this week called the system put you in a box but the box doesn't exist i wanted i've been wanting to do this one for a little while and i shared some personal stories in here in my life because it's something i've been observing throughout my life of people you know, the system, what I mean by the system is they lock you in. First off, they start you when you're young and they indoctrinate you and get you to believe what they want you to believe so they can push their agendas. And that's through the school systems. And then you're supposed to grow up and go to college or you will be nothing and work your ass off around the clock 24-7 so that you aren't paying attention to what's really happening in the world. Basically, I wanted to show how this overall system and structure works that they've tried to get, I mean, think about that. Millions and millions of people to adhere to and move through this system and then you go to college and you are in debt forever and then you work your ass off and you have no life and you get married and you have kids and then they're indoctrinated and you you know, you know, die broke and it's just this, this really... Um, yeah, yeah, it's a cycle and... They've escalated it over time to try to completely break down this country and the family dynamics, family unity. And I just, you know, I didn't, I didn't see the box. Like when I was growing up, I didn't see this box. I didn't see the constraints that everyone else felt because I was a big dreamer, you know, and I just kept moving forward and manifesting that which I wanted to do and the next adventure I wanted to have. And so I share some of that in here and kind of just break down, you know, I don't have a college degree. I never wanted to get married or have kids, though I love children. I have there's a lot of things I've wanted to do in life and focus my energy on and helping the masses instead of a select few or being too too pinned down in any one area and so that I could do all these different things. And it's just, it's such uh, like they've held people's minds hostage to believe that they don't have the ability to do things or they create doubt in them or fear in them or failure. And you're going to fail if you try this or you don't know how to do that or you got to break the construct. 
Yes, yes. It's like and, and if you want to get married and if you want to have kids and if you want to go college, that's all good. But yeah, it's the it fact is. that it's not it's not required. It's not right. it's, it's not mandatory. And yeah. it's just, you know, to to put that upon millions and millions of people, this structure of how you're supposed to live your life. And um what I've seen is so many people with dreams push them to the side. They say, I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to make this happen. I don't have the money. I don't have the time. They get really caught up in this system and structure that I'm talking about. So we all do. I mean, I, I'm guilty myself. You know, you get to a point where it's like really hard sometimes, you know, like let's say, for example, you go to college and you have all these big dreams and you're going to get out of school and then you're just locked down immediately with, you know, student loan debts and you're just basically yeah. a debt slave forever <laughs> trying right. to get out of that. In the money slave system in that cycle. Yeah. And then you got to pay off the debts. So you got to work your butt off and, you know, it just never and they, ends. They frame this intentionally in this manner. And that's, that's my point in this. It's, it's a system that has been very well structured and defined and controlled. I just, I see so many people with talents and skills that they don't think they're good enough or, or they've never even taken a leap of faith or they haven't tried to do something to find that, wow, I'm really good at this and I really enjoy doing this. And so I just kind of wanted to convey all of that in this, in this article. Work towards your dreams, people, and find people <laughs> to help you get there along the way. That's yep. right. And we're not all saying, go quit your jobs today, <laughs> unless that's what you want to do. You don't... Because I walked out with 50 cents in my pocket, doesn't mean anything. <laughs> Trust the universe, take a leap of faith, people. Yeah, you, yeah, pursue you your have dreams. to have faith take... in yourself, and you have to have you know, faith in God, and that trust, you know, that knowing, and that... I'm not telling people to go jump off a cliff or do something stupid, but it's just, it's, it's faith and belief and a, and a knowing. And so with that, with that, let's talk about Edge's excellent dig that was electrifying for me when I was reading it because it tied into so many of my digs I had done. So it was a very fascinating and I highly recommend people read it. And also you just made videos on it. You just made the best video I've seen that make anyway. Stepping up oh, again. Thanks. Well, right. first of all, Corey, I just want to say thank you for putting that out there. It's we really do need to get some some inspiration pieces out there, and I appreciate you for doing that and encouraging people to pursue their dreams because we do get caught up in the rat race. We do get caught up in our daily lives, but it's important to you know take leaps of faith and pursue your dreams. Thanks. Yeah. So I did this dig uh, and you thank you for publishing it on Corey's digs. So it's a series and it's entitled The Cancer Within Modern Medicine. So I published part one and two. Part three is rolling out real soon here in the next few days. And it's a series on the how the cabal has taken over pretty much all aspects of modern medicine. It starts at the beginning of the 20th century and kind of walks through to modern day. And it talks about the main agendas, who's involved, the big players that were involved back in the day that has repercussions even to the current day. In part one and two, I really break down big pharma, how that started with Rockefeller. And when it was little pharma. 
Yeah. And walk through all of that. And then I talk in the second part about cancer and how cancer research really started and who originated that and the characters that were involved in that and how they wanted to control it. I come up with a couple of really, really fascinating stories. You've got to see these stories. They seem far out there, but there's a lot of information to back up their stories. And it, and it shows how they monopolized the industry. And yes. that's what fascinated me. Yep. And it's just really bizarre. So crazy these stories are, but you know, I, I wouldn't put them out there if I didn't feel like there was really a lot of evidence to support that and, and to talk about them as legitimate, serious concerns about how these people have controlled the cancer research over the past century. So that, check that out on coreysdigs.com. Also, I put out a vid, a video just Wednesday on that breakdown, and you can catch that on HiveMind on our YouTube channel. And I'm going to be putting out, like I said, part three is going to be rolling out, and that one's going to be on eugenics. And this one is a huge one because pretty much all these people that were involved in everything else were eugenicists. And really that's why I found that one so fascinating because I did a big six part, was it six part or four part? I don't even remember on eugenics with the timeline and everything. So I can't wait to read that part. Yeah, it's a, it's a big one. And so, and it really gets into a lot of other avenues too. But yeah, so that should be coming out shortly. Look out for that. All right. I think it is a wrap. Guys, thanks for listening to us here (laughs) on Dig It with Corey from Corey Stiggs, the speaker, and myself, the Sharp Edge. Be sure to check out all the links in the description below. And we are now also on Stitcher and SoundCloud. So check us out there and be sure to share, like, subscribe, and hit that bell. We'll see you back next time right here on Dig It. Thank you.